Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Bud Elliott, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. A lot to get to here on a Wednesday. Uh, We've got a lot to catch up on. We've got uh, a, a popular criticism of Dabo Sweeney that we've had here on the Cover 3 podcast. He ducks it. Goes the other way. What does it mean for the Clemson, and what is the fallout on the TCU side as Garrett Riley will be the new offensive coordinator? Here in just a little bit, we got to get into the very latest on Jaden Rashada as our last prediction that we recorded here on the podcast was that Rashada would not end up at the University of Florida. Latest developments indicate that we are continuing to bend that way. Walker Howard has announced his commitment to Ole Miss after leaving LSU. We've got Cormani McLean to discuss, uh, and much, much more, and plus... For like a second, maybe, maybe CJ Stroud was coming back. What? No. <laughs> Common sense wins out. Um, the winners and losers of the NFL draft underclassmen deadline, which is this week. Uh, we'll get into that as well. But we want to begin at the University of Michigan, where there's a lot to get to. And before we even try to understand, which we might not, whatever computer access crimes mean, let's talk about the most certain thing that we have that Jim Harbaugh. that Jim Harbaugh does appear to be back at Michigan for the 2023 season. Now to speak Harbaugh is very difficult. So when he says things like, I love the relationships that I have at Michigan coaches, staff, families, administration, president Santa Ono, and especially the players and their families. My heart is at the university of Michigan. I once heard a wise man say, don't try to out happy, happy, go blue. He didn't commit to being at Michigan for 2023. But to speak Harbaugh, especially in the wake of Santa Ono's announcement that I just got off the phone with Coach Harbaugh and Jim shared with me the great news that he is going to remain the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. This is fantastic news that I've communicated to our athletic director, Ward Manuel. Jim Harbaugh is going to be back at Michigan for 2023. And while I have not seen any official reporting or any official news, I'm assuming this is coming with a new contract. I would think so. 
I and mean, compensation and some changes to, you know, the the cuts and the readjusted contract. And as we've gone back and forth, that Jim Harbaugh maybe maybe decided to play a little bit of his leverage that he has here as a two-time Big Ten champion head coach. So, what, what, where where does Michigan come out on the other side of this? Uh, I mean, I I think you're right. I, I don't. There's going to be a new contract just because if you look at his salary compared to what some of the other Big Ten coaches are making, and he's won the conference the last two years, it's not really, you know, comparable. He should be paying more based on that market. But what was interesting to me is like, like I've been pretty adamant that I thought he was coming back for a while. I thought that unless a team offered him complete control of everything, which NFL teams just don't do anymore, he wasn't going to leave for an NFL gig. But what was the most interesting aspect of all this to me is. Read that statement again, Chip. There's a name that isn't in it. Ward Emanuel. Yeah. The athletic director. Mm -hmm. He's going straight to the top. He's bypassing his boss. Yeah, and it's been a few times. Like, I can't, I think, I don't think this is the first time Harbaugh has not mentioned his athletic director in these, you know, weird statements that he's made that have said, I'm coming back. And I think that there is partial, like, if you think back to Jim Harbaugh's time at the NFL, what was the breakdown with San Francisco? It was a relationship with him and his general manager. I feel like there might be something going on between him and Ward Manuel. Where, I mean, they've been together a long time. Jim Harbaugh, from people I have talked to, say he's not, you know, it's it's just, it could be difficult to work with Jim Harbaugh. It could be difficult to have Jim Harbaugh work for you for a long period of time, just because he is different. Not bad, just it can get on you. He's a different type of person. And, you know, he's very, very into his football and just it's he's, he's got he's got a code, I guess, is the best way to put it. And he follows it. But I just wonder if there's some sort of friction forming between him and Ward Manuel. And that has really been maybe the impetus between this the last couple of years of his seemingly return inflated interest in going back to the NFL. And maybe if this power play isn't just about getting a raise, but maybe he's who he's going to be negotiating the raise with. Interesting take there. I also noticed that Manuel was was not in the statement. So you have to assume that Manuel was involved, but maybe not directly involved with him coming back. I think the most obvious factor of him coming back is that he did not get the offer that he wanted from the NFL. Mm-hmm. But, and if you're Ward Manuel, we're like, really? Are we going to do this every year, Jim? Because your recruiting should be better. Now, Tom and I could sit on here and debate, should, should they be top five or whatnot? But they absolutely should be top 10 every year based on the fact that they have won the Big Ten back-to-back years. They have gone to the college football playoff back-to-back years, and yet they've missed on some important kids. And I do think that Harbaugh's repeated flirtations with the NFL is a factor in this. So if you're a man, you're like, dude, I love having the results that you produce on the field. I think the sustainability could be even better if you recruited a little bit better here. Harbaugh's probably like, well, yeah, how about you give me some more NIL to play with? And, and loosen those purse strings with that and stop being old, you know, stodgy Michigan a little bit. They're doing that with the one more year fund, apparently, at least a little bit. We'll get to that in a second when we do our top winners and losers of the NFL draft deadline. Uh, but I, if you're manual, it's got to be annoying to do this dance with a guy every single year, right? It's And that's kind of what this is. I fully expect Harbaugh to flirt with the NFL next year because I don't think he wants to coach college football. I think he wants to try to coach in the NFL. I don't, I don't think he doesn't want to coach, coach college football. Okay, would you, he he would prefer to coach the NFL? I I no, think that, I think he just wants to be in charge somewhere. I, I think th- that I, he I, th- I think that he still desires 
winning at the big at the highest level in the National Football League. You know, in all of the like capital F football that comes with uh, you know NFL brain, I, I think he's still got it, and so I think he does. I think he can be satisfied and placated with his job at the University of Michigan, trying to win Big Ten championships and trying to contend for a college football playoff. I don't think he's running away from Michigan, but I do think we're going to go through this every single. We we have a closer relationship with fans than we do with administrators here at the Cover Three Podcast. If I'm a Michigan fan, I, I think this is going to be exhausting. I think we're going to be doing this every single offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is just kind of part of the package of what you have to deal with. Because, I mean, let's be real. Like, Mike Gundy would flirt with other co- coaching jobs all the time, and he's always coming back to Oklahoma State. He was never flirting with NFL jobs. Jim Harbaugh can flirt with NFL jobs because there are NFL teams interested in him. Like, that's part of the deal. Like if you have a chance to go to the NFL, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice if you don't at least consider the options that are available to you. And he clearly, yeah, he probably wants to win a Super Bowl as a coach. It's something he hasn't done. But I don't think that has anything to do with him not wanting to coach at the college level. I still think he wants to coach at the college level. But if the right NFL situation came along, he would leave Michigan for it. But I think it's got to be a specific situation for him to leave Michigan. I think he would rather just, like I was saying, I think I think the situation could be more along the lines of just him not being very happy with his boss. Uh, maybe it stems from 2020. Maybe it stems from the salary reduction. I don't know. But it's just, that is the impression I get. This is not being told to me from anybody. Just kind of reading the tea leaves on my own. I feel like there's something there that's not being discussed. I totally can see that. Do you think that he – it's hard to say he overplayed his hand because he really has Michigan by, by the horns here, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the level of production that he has given to Michigan has nearly, really not been matched uh, rarely, if ever, in, in our lifetimes. So you know, that this level of, of success at Michigan is, is awesome. Michigan kind of has to do whatever he wants now, given that he's won the Big Ten back-to-back years and made the playoff twice. I, I wonder – do you think he plays out his new contract at Michigan whenever he gets it? I mean, we haven't seen the, the length of it yet right now, but I mean, do you think he's coaching Michigan two years from now or three years from now? Or do you mm-hmm. think eventually he'll take a lesser NFL job? No, I don't think he's going to go back to the NFL just to be a head coach and have somebody give him players and tell him, here you go, go do what you want to do. With it's it's whatever owner has decided that you can be the coach general manager, super everything sort of and power. There- yeah, and there are really only a couple owners, I think, who would still consider that, and one of those has an opening right now and doesn't seem to be interested in doing it. So Is that the, the other Colts? one, yeah, the other okay. one, I feel like Mark Davis might, Mark Davis did it with John Gruden with the Raiders. So I feel like he would probably still consider doing it. Like, you know, I know they hate Mike, Mike Mayock as a general manager, but I think we all know who the ultimate decision maker was in that situation. But I just, I, that's not the model the NFL follows anymore. Like, that's just a very old school kind of approach to it. Whereas now it's like, I don't know, it's, you've got your coach and your coach works for the GM and the GM works for the president and all those guys will make all those decisions. It's more business than it used to be. All right. If we're just judging Jim Harbaugh based on his college success, clearly 25 wins in the last two seasons, in the last five seasons, in the last four seasons that have been full schedule. So throughout 2020, uh, nine wins or more in every single year. In three out of the last four seasons that have been full schedules, he's gone eight and one or better in Big Ten play. 
Is he a top five coach in college football, taking that on-field success, but also factoring in, I know Bud always likes to look at recruiting. Is he a top five coach in college football right now? Yes. I don't really yes. think it's much of a debate, honestly. I, yeah, I mean, all right. Kirby over him, Nick over him for sure. Yeah. In some order, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, recency bias is Kirby, obviously other things is, you know. Oh, yeah, that's just going to be joy for May. When we get into the coach rankings in May, mm-hmm. Kirby over Nick is just going to be fantastic. I'm all ready. Just wait until Harbaugh's over Day. Because Ohio State fans have been yelling at me for not putting Day in the top five the last few years. And I'm like, what has he won? <laughs> I'll do Harbaugh over Day. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm saying it's – I'm just, I'm anticipating what the response will be for that. But Harbaugh should be top five. I mean, I feel like it's – your top four are Nick, Kirby, Dabo, I still think, because he's got the rings, and Harbaugh. I mean, who's your fifth right now? So Lincoln was hot for a little bit. I think that you could put Harbaugh over Lincoln at this point. Yeah, I think they're in very much Lincoln's the same tier. More, you could you could put Lincoln ahead of Harbaugh because he's been to the playoff more often. More times, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. He's a top he's a top five coach in college football. He probably should be compensated like one. And you know, I I don't I don't like trying to count other people's pockets or trying to guess how much money matters to these guys. It's like, well, he doesn't need the money. Uh, that's not exactly the game uh, always when it comes to these sorts of things. Uh, so Jim Harbaugh. It, it does look like he is, thanks to the the support of the president uh, and some statements from Harbaugh, looks like he's back for 2023. This NFL coaching carousel will not result in a job opening at Michigan football. However, oh, hey, fast forward to one thing. I, yeah, well, one thing I wanted to bring up here that I, I did not fully know. Um, I heard this on one of the NFL broadcasts this weekend. Do you know, like, the top coaches in the NFL are making $20 million now? I didn't know that. Twenty. One of the broadcasts said like like the very best coaches in the NFL now are making twenty million, which just kind of shocked me. I was like, oh, okay, I, I didn't realize they're making that much. Now, not all of them. Like apparently, some of these franchises that is are not true. Cheap. That is not okay. true. No, the highest paid NFL coach. Hold on, let me look at this list real quick. The highest paid NFL coaches in twenty twenty three. Now, I just googled this, so you know it is it's reliable. <laughs> uh, it's from Wolfgang Sport. Oh, oh, maybe it is that true. Hold on, one second. Oh, screw uh, your ad blocker is on. Um, Sean McVay makes between 15 and 18. Belichick's at 12 and a half. Pete Carroll's at 11. Shanahan's at nine and a half. And the other Harbaugh is at nine. Yeah, the floor I thought was seven or eight. Yeah. I did not know the ceiling had gotten to 20, but. It might here soon. I mean, I don't know. NFL money's just as stupid as college money at this point, really. So. Because they used to not make much more. No, like it used to be just Belichick, right? And maybe Sean Payton for a little while made it made a ton. Sean Payton, I bet you know it. You're right. Sean Payton will probably get twenty wherever the hell he ends up. He's got every single team that want, is interviewing him right now. This is now becoming the Pick Six podcast. But I think Sean Payton might crack the twenty. Mm. Were you saying that just in general for like what would motivate like continual reasons why Harbaugh would be entertained by uh, the opportunity to go to the NFL? So for a long time, coaches had complained, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to the NFL. And I was like, well, good luck. I mean, your main skill is recruiting, and that's not really a valuable skill in the NFL. Uh, but they their main reasons for going were you don't have to recruit and babysit all these kids and transfer portal. and There's more certainty, and you actually get to do more coaching and less just babysitting, for, for lack of a better term. Uh, but now I think one of the reasons could also be money, 
right? They're, they're, it may be that the NFL coaches are now being paid quite a bit more than college guys are at the very top. I mean, that's what what's a top college guy make eleven or twelve? So yeah, I mean, that's like fifty percent more at the very top. Are Saban, Kirby, Dabo are all in the like ten point something? Yeah. I think at this point, and then it's like. Because the universities are kind of embarrassed to pay them more than that. They do some different stuff with deferred compensation. They do some stuff with uh, life insurance policies that, that the school pays for. They do uh, uh, like they'll buy your house and, and lease it back to you, that, that, that type of stuff. Right. So it's it's different. The other thing you got to consider, though, to be an NFL coach is are you willing to punt on fourth and two at midfield? Your team's already down two scores in a playoff game and your defense is giving you no reason to believe it's going to stop the other team. Was that Brandon Staley? No, no, that was uh, that was Bowles. Bowles. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty solid. Good punt. Worked worked really well for him. Yeah. How I mean, many plays did it take before Dallas returned to the point of the punt? I think it was two. Four. I think it was four. four. Okay. okay. I made a business decision after Brady's pick in the end zone, and then Dallas went the other way to to score a touchdown. I was like, all right. I, bedtime. Let's all go. I'm going to say is I was on the over 45 and a half. That game had a red zone interception. Tom Brady's first in like 70 billion years and four missed extra points and finished 31 to 14. Just absolute nightmare of a game for me. 45 Maybe. on the nose. One NFL bet this weekend. Bengals, Jags, teaser. That was had, had it the whole way, obviously, right? Uh, the, the, the entire way. Oh, my gosh. Um, all right, so I I I feel like we need to mention this just in case um, there there are you know questions in the audience. But right now we've got uh, Michigan co-offensive coordinator Danny Cannell jumping in. How teeth? Ah, uh, Danny, are you, can you feel your mouth? I can. Okay. I right. might not be able to the next time, though. That's the bad news. That's what we're oh, doing. I'm just happy you win. I'm happy you put on your big boy pants and you went once, to the dentist. Once every five years, <laughs> you know, when I start getting a little pain, had it crop up in Los Angeles, started to go to sleep. I'm like, oh, there's a throbbing in my mouth. So, yeah, we got some issues going on. Did anyway. You, did you get a sticker? I can't <laughs> not, not even or a lollipop any like yeah. a good like sugar-free lollipop Dennis do that. not give lollipops yeah Michigan co-offensive coordinator Matt Weiss has been placed on leave uh, as he is being investigated for quote report of computer access crimes that occurred in December at the team's football facility what do we have anything like uh, I could read from the story if you want, I mean, do you this? Because because here here's the one thread that I've seen. Uh, if for some reason this leads to Matt Weiss losing his job, does that mean Harbaugh takes over more offensive coordinator responsibilities, offensive coordinator roles? Do you end up promoting Mike Hart into the position? What sort? What is the staff shakeup on a team that has led to a lot of staff shakeup? What does that mean for Michigan moving forward? Because frankly, I I have taken the approach of the the Michigan offense even with all of the changeover and staff still has so much Harbaugh influence that it's hard for me to say that the loss of this person is going to end up greatly changing my expectations, especially, and we'll talk about Michigan a little bit later, Blake Corum's coming back. Don it, Donovan Edwards is going to be on this roster. This team is still going to run the daggum football um, and try to overwhelm opponents at the line of scrimmage and at the point of attack. But um, yeah, what? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. 
I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's like I just, I'm reading the story because I'm trying to figure out like, OK, but it's like Michigan state law prohibits access to computers, computer systems and computer networks for certain fraudulent purposes, as well as intentional and unauthorized access, alteration, damage and destruction of computers, computer systems, computer networks, computer software programs and data. It also prohibits the sending of certain electronic messages. I don't know. <laughs> Directly from the statute in Michigan. Uh a person shall not use a computer program, computer, computer system, or computer network to commit, attempt to commit, conspire to commit, or solicit another person to commit a crime. So there's that. A uh, little more to it there. I, there I mean, there's such it, a you, wide variety. Do you want to speculate what the crime was? No, because I, I think there's there's some some ways you can go down this that like if, if you speculate and you're wrong, it, it, it's no. I, I don't want to speculate on it. I do think that the fine print of using a university computer is probably a lot stricter than a lot yeah. of people would think. There but they also searched his home, but raids, according yeah. to the Detroit News. Uh, two sources, they said. Also, can we can we talk about real estate costs in Ann Arbor? This guy's home went for 1.52 mil in May. Oh, it's nuts. 3,300 square feet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like before we moved, we were considering moving somewhere like Ann Arbor and looking at the house prices there. It was just like, holy, I mean, we live in Chicago, so it's not like it was cheap here, but it was. Just, we were very surprised by housing prices in Ann Arbor. How much? Four fifty a square foot. <laughs> yeah, I like that angle. I have no yeah. idea what's happening, right? I mean, this is one of those weird, weird ones where it just comes out of nowhere, and you're like, "What is happening here?" Ultimately, I think Chip, you said it best. Jim Harbaugh's. I mean, really, it goes back to when they started getting good again, right? When he started taking over, more physical mentality. We're going to run the ball, be a run first. You know, I think it's been more about his influence on this offense than anything. Are you concerned? Yeah, I mean, you don't want your staff. To, <laughs> you don't want police investigations coming around, circling around your your staff. I mean, and we've got NCAA look. investigations, and yeah. I mean, it's like everything is like fine, I guess, because Harbaugh's back. But I can't say that it's been the smoothest, uh, smoothest a couple of weeks since the uh, the loss to TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, I'm. I really don't know what this is. Reading the you know, Michigan twenty four seven sports message boards, they don't really seem to be all that bummed if wife if, if Weiss does leave. Sharon uh, like, Moore would be the other piece, like piece of this was like, oh, is Sharon Moore still there? All right, cool. Yeah, and I right, like I don't think those guys are are equals, even though their titles say co. Right, Sharon Moore is the dude who other schools will be trying to hire away as a head coach in the coming years. I don't really get the same vibe with Matt Weiss. Um, uh, pivoting over to uh, the ongoing Jaden Rashada saga, the Rashada saga. Uh, we've got a report, reporting coming out. Um, Brandon Huffman comes out, says, per a source close to the recruitment on Tuesday afternoon, uh, Jaden Rashada officially filed a request for a release from his national letter of intent with Florida. Had a lot of information that has continued to come out of this, but still the prediction that was on the Cover 3 podcast on Thursday that Jaden Rashada would not be playing for the Florida Gators certainly appears to be the case. We did not have a resolution in time for his enrollment for the spring semester, which means we're going to be delayed for his enrollment wherever he goes. And so this opens up a couple of interesting questions. No, number one if this does have to do with an NIL package that was promised but not delivered upon, 
What does you know that tell us about where we are in terms of the current NIL era? What does this mean in terms of Florida and its operations, both in the present in terms of trying to get recruits, but also in the future? And then also Jaden Rashada, where does he end up? So before we get to the Jaden Rashada, where does he end up? But I'm going to let you take first swing at this. Like, Do you think that this was, in fact, a $13 million package that was promised but not delivered, and that was sort of the beginning of the breakdown between Florida and Rashada. I I do. Um, so Orlando Sentinel reported it was thirteen million. The Athletics reported it was thirteen million. I have not seen the contract. My guess here, I think you could call it like informed speculation, is that it was probably worth up to thirteen million. I would be shocked if it was a guaranteed thirteen million, but that's probably the max value of if, if everything works out mutual option type stuff, I would guess, based on how these are written over four or five years type thing. Just clarify, if you guys are listening for the first time, this was not $13 million per year, $13 million over basically a, a kid's career. Uh, that's clearly the reason for the breakdown here. Now, a couple questions I would have is, how in the hell did you get to a $13 million valuation for Rashada, who's like a top 50 player you know, in, in, on the composite, you know, a good player, but he's a dude who's – kind of a known commodity. He's going to turn 20 in August. He's not like a 17-year-old who's going to continue to grow a whole lot more, although he'll grow some. And he's a good – like, it's a good arm. He's a good player. But if if the reporting on Nico is correct at Tennessee and, and the Vols got him for $8 million, the idea that, that Rashada is getting 50% more uh, is, is just crazy to me. So on the one hand, from a cost-saving standpoint, you could say that Florida – probably got off good here in that they did not sink $13 million into this kid. On the other hand, it raises major questions of, okay, how about like, what do, what are other kids going to view Florida as? Do other recruits think Florida is broke as far as the ability to pay NIL? Is that going to hurt Billy Napier and their staff on the trail? How did you get to that valuation anyway? Was it really as simple as Florida's big money folks were pissed that Miami was stealing all their kids and you're like, well, watch this. We're going to strike back. And then it's like, wait, what? What did we offer to strike back? There's a lot of questions you have to ask here. I I do think $13 million would have been an overpay. The way that they got out of the deal is definitely kind of embarrassing and will probably reverberate throughout the recruiting industry. That's, I think, the most interesting thing about this. I mean, it's a rough look for the Gators. And, you know, if we hear about negative recruiting all the time, what do you think every other program and every other collective is telling anybody that they're competing with for the University of Florida? Like, good luck getting your money. I mean, I can hear them saying that. The other thing, too, and this is the whole newness of this environment, we have no idea what the structure of these deals are. Like, is there a chance it could be – you know, one and a half the first year, two and a half the next, three and a half, and then there's like a balloon in the fourth because you're like, ah, he's going to be turning pro. You know, like you don't know what the exact numbers of these are. And until we do, I think there's a lot of speculation. And like, I, that's why I, I I believe the 13, but I kind of don't believe the 13, like in actuality. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, thought it was I think there's got to be some funny money in there, just like there are when you read an NFL contract. And, you know, look for don't look for the total, look for the guaranteed money. I, I would have to think that some of these deals have similar language and similar setups, but I could be I could be wrong. Um, if you win two national championships, right. you know, right. like, like could be a huge bonus signing yeah. bonuses in there. That's yeah. how you could get. To so start. he gets one, one and one and then 10 if he gets a <laughs> national title. <laughs> 
I would not structure it that way, though. Just just be clarified. I wouldn't go one 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 ten because then no. the kid might suck and he might sit around for four years. And be like, well, wait for the ten. senior <laughs> year. <laughs> You'd have to mutual hey, option it. Tim Tebow got two national championships. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, those. So is it possible? And I saw this uh, suggested by uh, Andy Staples. Shout out to Andy. He's a huge fan of the show. Um, I saw it suggest. Andy suggested, what if this didn't come? from the Gator Collective. Like this is one of the, pro, like when you have, there are universities that have multiple collectives. You know, there, it is not necessarily like one unified collective. Like it's possible that whoever put this together was acting like a little bit of a, is going rogue just a little bit. I mean, the, his commitment to Florida initially was a stunner. We had, I mean, <clears throat> sorry, peel back the curtain. When we are given information, or in strongly informed predictions that a player who is supposed to announce their commitment, um, it, we, we think we know what it's going to do. We do a little bit of legwork in advance. We put together some, some words so that we can be able to provide as much analysis as fast as possible for you. And for everybody that was putting together the content, this was going to be an announcement that Jaden Rashada was going to Miami. And it was just a hundred percent rogue out of nowhere. Uh, he's going to Florida. And I think even the announcement wasn't made when the announcement was supposed to be made and all of that being off schedule. When I was thinking back to his initial commitment in October, I was like, that would make sense that somebody just came in rogue with a wild promise to, to your point, bud was getting mad about Florida losing some of these battles and just like fired on something they couldn't back up without checking with, whoever's in charge of the finances of the Gator Collective, and then all of a sudden you're put in this tight position. I, I think it's very possible that this is an example of what has happened in the current NIL era where there can be so many different actors who can work with third parties and somebody in a recruit's camp to try to put together a package that might not check out with everybody who's in charge of the more functional and structured collective that is working with uh, the university. This is kind of the natural consequence, and we said this on Thursday's show, of you are employing people, except you're not employing them because they're not employees and you're not paying them, but the guys that make the product go have a ton of market value. It's obvious when you have a lot of kids making over a million bucks now per year. But you're not paying them, so you're you're really relying as a school on a third party to run your payroll. And like we know, there are schools out there that freaking hate their collectives and the guys that that run them. They're like, I hate this guy, right? And they just they don't want to deal with them. But it's a necessary evil, especially in the states where, like Florida, where the school cannot have much involvement with the collective. Now, I think there are other schools in the state that love the guys that run their collective, right? So it just depends. Or Florida, I guess we'll see if they reorg that thing, if they try to bring it all under one umbrella. I know they had, what, Gator Collective? They had the Gator Guard. Uh, but, uh, I mean, if you're repping a kid and he signs with Florida now, do you want some more evidence up front that you're going to get your money? Cash on the yeah. way, please. Yes. Or <laughs> do, you think, do you think his rep should have said, wait a second, $13 million is so just not beyond the pale, but so like unheard of in this market that – should red flags have gone up then on his side and said, wait a second, 13 million. Uh, Did you guys, so have you guys seen the athletic timeline report where they said that December 7th, that this Gator collective, Eddie Rojas sent a letter of termination for the $13 million deal. Now that's in dispute, I guess, 
But like, yeah, then if you're Rashada, aren't you saying, whoa, 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 like, wait a second, you're backing yeah. on the deal? So, I mean, all it makes sense when you start thinking about it from that perspective. I think this kid wanted to play for Florida. Mm. I just obviously, like, there's major trust issues there now. Mm. Um, And we do have – That's where uh, – can I just say something real yeah. quick? Like, you just said he wanted to play for Florida. Did he want to go because he believes in Billy Napier, can develop as a quarterback because they're going to put him in a position to succeed? Or did he go because of the $13 million? And I'm sure, like, and that's where I think, you know, if you were talking to high school kids and you were an advisor and, and, and a, a real advisor, not somebody that's going to take 20% of the 13 mil, but like somebody who's advising him as a future, I would say, man, you, you got to prioritize what you're looking at. Yes, you want to get paid because every, there's a going rate, but that cannot be the only reason why you're selecting something. You've got to make sure you're comfortable with the staff, with the surroundings, with the school, with the team, with the culture, all of it. And then you find out like, okay, all right. And then you narrow your choices down to these three to five schools. And so if a team offers you 13, another offers you 10, maybe it's best to go to the place that goes 10. Like I, That's why I would just be careful of going to the highest bidder because as we're seeing, and this might be the perfect example, the highest bidder may not even be real. So like, Make sure you've got something good as well. And I don't know what I'd tell him now. Like, if you know, I don't know what advice I'd give him now. But I just think you got to be really careful making these decisions. And it's hard. Think about it. 17, 18-year-old, you're getting, you know, people are in your pocket trying to take fees. I mean, it's it's really complicated. And I feel bad for some of these kids because then they get criticized, you know, for, you know, choosing a place. And it's it's hard. Where do we think Jaden Rashad ends up? I would say either the West Coast, uh, maybe a Washington. California, which is, again, right. hilarious about this, like Miami, Florida battle. It's like it's from California. Washington, Arizona State, maybe somewhere like that, potentially, or uh, alternatively, uh, you know, perhaps somewhere like an SMU, right? SMU has money to spend. They just lost Mordecai to Wisconsin, so maybe they have some stuff left over. I know he has some connections to SMU. I, I could see them – uh, you know, and that would be a big, a big get for for their staff. Hey, maybe he ends up at Wisconsin. They haven't gotten enough quarterbacks. <laughs> um, DJ Lagway, five star quarterback, is on board for the twenty twenty four cycle. Is he a strong enough prospect to be able to placate whatever frustrations are out there with a Graham Mertz, Jack Miller quarterback battle uh, ongoing for the Florida starting quarterback job in twenty twenty three? Absolutely. Okay. I- Lagway's a really good, really good player. Like if I'm a Florida fan and I know Lagway's coming, this stinks. But at the same time, you're like, okay, we just we, we got to get to the we got to get to Lagway's arrival, and and then this thing can really take off. It's also like, are you going to get Lagway? You think that after he committed, he could flip? Just I mean, he still hasn't put pen to paper. So we got what a, a whole year before signing day. Whew. What what are your like Tom? Have you run your stuff for next year yet? No. Like my very early stuff has Florida at like five point seven five wins. Mm. I mean, if I think in order to actually keep DJ Lagway, if I'm just reading tea leaves here, Florida needs to overachieve this year. Wow. Or or it needs to take that thirteen million it didn't give Rashada, yeah, and pull it up and give it to Lagway. That's. I mean, look, ask Mike Norvell how hard it is to recruit after two losing seasons in a row to to start your tenure. Because um, that's kind of what Napier is facing, like if, if they don't overachieve a little bit. 
Um, yeah, going to be uh, going to be very, very interesting to keep tabs on that. One more from the 2023 cycle. Cormani McLean visited Colorado over the weekend. Um, is is the Miami commit who did not sign in the early signing period and now will officially put pen to paper in February uh, a couple weeks from now. Is Colorado now the front runner in uh, for Cormani McLean? I think yeah, I think Colorado has to be considered the front runner, right? My, he was committed to Miami, shocked the world because everybody thought he was going to Florida, and he he pulled the shocker there and committed to Miami. One of the the commits, by the way, I think that really pissed Florida off, and and you know, maybe got him got him going like that. Uh, Miami's entire staff went up to Lakeland High to go see Cormani, and he wasn't there. So it turns out he was actually out of, on a flight out to visit Boulder and Dion. My guess here, if you're Miami, you still want the kid, but you got to be really frustrated with a guy who's verbally, quote unquote, committed to you uh, in a bunch of videos, taking a bunch of pics that look like they could be used for a commitment thing, you know, graphics and whatnot, which kids do on all visits, by the way. So I, I shouldn't say that's totally, you know, un, like out, out of the norm. But I mean, don't you kind of think, didn't Miami have to check to see if he was there? And then he wasn't there. Like, do you just drive up unannounced to see the kid? I, I don't know. Um, I think I think Colorado's got to be considered the front runner. Mm. Why would a top ranked cornerback want to go play for Deion Sanders? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> what can Deion possibly teach him? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's something different when uh, when the best cornerbacks of all time is like, hey, let's go. Did you see the video though? Oh, D- D- Danny saw it. Oh, I saw it. That's my guy, Tim, Tim Brewster. Brewster. He was the tight ends coach in the Broncos my last year there. He was with Florida State. He's a mag. He's been around a long time. And mine, it wasn't so much to rip on Tim Brewster. And it was funny because I'm getting a small taste of what it's like to talk about anything Colorado. Like there are a bunch of Colorado fans like, oh, what, what do you mean? This team needs that. Like, well, you know, what are you saying? Oh, this, you know, like pointing out that he wasn't that good of a coach as a head. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, all I wanted to say was that this stuff doesn't fly in the NFL. No. And like I picture, I think Urban Meyer tried that crap. I think he, maybe not to that extent, but the very like – it's very militaristic, like mm-hmm. and, and like to be. I experienced it at Florida State. I mean, we had mat drills where they treat. They were like drill sergeants, and we were just grunts. And they went out and they mentally abused us and tore us down, and then they built us back up. There is a method to it. Discipline is very real, and I'm okay with Tim Brewster doing it. I was just pointing out that if you ever wonder, like, and I think Matt Rule was kind of one of those that had the rah rah mentality, like, hey. Everyone's going to follow me and I'm going to lead. In the NFL, guys are just like, Show me, when's my paycheck coming? Tell me what I need to do and I'm going to go do it. Like, you don't want to sit in a room. And, and like, I just thought it was interesting how polarizing that video was. Yeah, you mentioned like college, it's more militaristic. Even in the military, once you've been in a few years, they're no longer doing that to you. You kind of already know your job. In the NFL and college, it's the same way. You don't need the drill sergeant coming in to fire you up anymore. Shout out to Coach Brew. Yeah, just out there getting it done. Um, one one last I just, thing. I just like how 
he really wanted him to say we coming like he 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 was trying to 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 incorporate the we coming from the opener so you know from dion i thought that was pretty funny because i don't know if i don't know if brewster's a guy i picture you know out there saying we coming you know i didn't i didn't see that coming from him but hey gotta fall in line it all flows down from the top so um one last thing before we get to NFL draft declaration, sort of winners and losers from the deadline. Dabo Sweeney uh, uh, made official, quickly moved Brandon Streeter out. And then he did something that he hasn't done since back 2011, 2012. Been almost a decade since that man went out and got one of the hottest names on the market. Now, um, we are bringing new ideas into this Clemson football program. And the hire of Garrett Riley, the TCU offensive coordinator, has now created a very new look for the the Clemson Tigers going into 2023. Again, like I said at the top of the show, we have looked at the Clemson staff and said, how many, how much experience do your guys have outside of Clemson? How many new ideas are you bringing into this building? So now that Dabo has done it, our are, are we turning around? Are we going to start partying like it's 2011 again, 2012? If th- is, this, is this when the torch is passed? Is this the reboot button? Will this hire be the beginning of a Clemson program being able to take a little bit of a dip and then maybe be able to reclaim its, uh, its undisputed position uh, atop the ACC and as a college football playoff contender? If I am a Clemson fan, I am far more optimistic right now than I was a week or two ago, yes. Because this is, like, Garrett Riley is not a guarantee that Clemson's going to win a national title or get to the playoff next year. It's probably still going to win the ACC or at least compete for it. But you've finally listened to the criticism and you finally have seen it for yourself and realized, okay, this just isn't working anymore. We need to do something. If this offense could get freaking TCU to the college football playoff, what could it do for us with the talent we have at QB, some of the talent we've recruited on offense that we just, frankly, have wasted a lot. Like a lot of the guys that Clemson has had at receiver have been talented guys out of high school that did not develop into anything. And part of it might have been coaching, but most of it was probably just an offense that really didn't take advantage of what they could do. Now you have a guy who has shown and he's got an offense. Like, how many bad receivers have you seen a Riley offense have? You know what I mean? Like, at Oklahoma, at USC, and then his offense at TCU. Some guys that might not have been super highly rated athletes coming out of high school are putting up numbers in this offense. Quarterbacks are putting up numbers in this offense because it actually schemes these guys open. There's an actual plan behind it. Whereas when I'm watching Clemson's offense, I sometimes really struggle to figure out what the goal is on a certain play. Like, what were they trying to do here? So I, if I'm Tom, Clemson, I'm very optimistic. Tom, those plays worked. For a long time, those plays yeah. work. Just keep when calling had, them. Just I keep calling Trevor those Lawrence plays that work. We need to execute better. Yeah. Our <laughs> offense needs to do better. Our offensive line, our quarterbacks got to make better. I, I That to me felt like what you were watching is when you feel like some people think calling plays is like playing Madden. You know, you just, you just call the plays and you make it work. And it really is a – it's an art form to be in a – not only a play caller, but being a designer of an offense. And you could tell that for the past, since Chad Morris left, like these were not the designers of the offense. They were running that offense and trying to make tweaks and it wasn't working. There was no innovation or no evolution to what they had been doing for the last 10 years. So I think you got to be super pumped for this change. And they're ecstatic as they should be. 
And I think it's just like, I think this is a good move for Dabo. He gets criticized all the time for him to be able to take a little bit of time to self-evaluate, to go back, look at the tape, to talk to some people. You know, I'm sure he did not make this decision alone. Say, all right, what's what's the issue here? What's happening? And being able to go out and get the best available guy in the market, that to me is probably the most, it, like not only did he just, he didn't just make a change. He went out and got the best available option, which Texas A&M wanted the best available option. They couldn't get him, you know, which I think is probably more personality driven and control. But this is a massive move for Clemson and Dabo. I think it also creates a... <clears throat> It also creates a sense of consequences within that Clemson program. This might be all family and this might be like all, you know, lovey-dovey and build each other up. But if you don't get results, then there will be consequences. And everything was set up for Brandon Streeter to be able to succeed and thrive and, and be the next Clemson offensive coordinator to go and get a head coaching job. Like he'd been sort of come up through the ranks. He was going to follow in the lines of a Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott and be really successful. And we were just going to look at this amazing coaching tree. And when it doesn't work out, you're t- you're out. You're terminated. And I, I think that's got to like reverberate through the the entire Clemson program that, you know, just because you're here and it's all family doesn't mean that we don't demand results and there will be consequences if those results aren't met. And so being being willing to move on from Streeter uh, and also go get Garrett Riley shows me a, a sense of urgency because Dabo really scared me heading into last year. He's like, everybody thinks that you know, we deserve, like he was talking about expectations and how unrealistic it was uh, to expect that Clemson was going to be playing for a national championship every year, how unrealistic it was to ex- for fans to expect they were going to be winning the ACC every year. And you kind of do have to set those as the expectations. If, if you really want to be able to chase the best programs in the country, you're not going to meet them. That is true. But to at least create the idea that, just being good isn't good enough if the results aren't there. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting turning point, certainly, for, for the Clemson football program as we continue to move forward in an ACC that won't have divisions and on the precipice of an expanded college football playoff where Clemson, if it continues to operate at a high level, is going to be one of those programs that we pick to be in that playoff almost every single year. So you've got to be able to level up in a way that your Cheez-It Bowl team is not going to get bounced in the first round. So I, I think this is kind of step one of three. We, we, we said that the old Dabo would have gone out and, and and got a killer at offensive coordinator like he did with with Chad Morris, not promoted from, in, internally. So I, I like the hire from that standpoint. Um, we criticized the whole Clemson offensive staff for its lack of experience. Is Lincoln Riley allowed to make changes and bring his own guys in there, or does he have to work with this group? Garrett, Garrett Riley. Excuse me, Garrett Riley. Yeah, is, is Garrett going to be able to, be able to make changes here? Or does he have to work with all these guys who still have no experience outside of Clemson at the Power 5 level? That's a question I would ask. Also, I scroll down and I see what has Clemson done in the transfer portal? Nothing. They took Paul Tyson from Arizona State, who will be a backup quarterback. You know, couldn't get on the field at Bama, couldn't get on the field at a dreadful Arizona State team last year. Like He's more of a dude I would expect to be you know, like, like a GA at some point, right? Um that's Those Bear, are that's Bear Bryant's grandson, right? Mm-hmm. And, yes. and, and Davo's got the Bama connections. Yeah, Davo yeah. taking Bear Bryant's grandson uh, to just come be a high character guy. That's 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 the Davo I know and love. Like 
Georgia doesn't use the portal much, but Georgia's recruiting has been insane. And Clemson has recruited really well, but you can't tell me their hit rate is the same as what Georgia has been recently. So I want to see, you know, does Dabo, does he go all the way? Does he take the next steps? Because if Clemson wants to get back, they need to, they do need to supplement a little bit more, I think, with the portal. And I want to see if Garrett Riley can, can hire the staff that he wants to hire, assuming he doesn't want to just work with the existing staff that put that offense together the last two years. Mm. The good news is for Garrett Riley, too, is there won't be much of an adjustment period because he's already coming from a small Christian school. (laughs) I've seen seen somebody put out here, somebody in these streets, I apologize, I can't give you credit right now, but I've seen somebody in the streets put the the ISO cam of Dabo running down the hill, you know, full speed. They said Dabo when he found out what the C in TCU stands for. (laughs) Oh, man, too much. All right, coming up on the other side, the NFL draft early entry deadline has passed. Got 72 hours if anybody wants to rethink their decision, but for the most part, our list is set. Who are the big winners, losers, surprises, and more next. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, and uh, and and just right off the rip, why? 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 Just one question. Who do you think you are? Why did we consider that C.J. Trout was going to come back to Ohio State? What was that about? We didn't. Yeah, we, I don't think we really did. Okay. It was fun to speculate. What's the was number? <laughs> no, actually, it wasn't fun for me because, again, another peek behind the curtain. I was on a, I was on news duty on Sunday, right? And about 5 p.m., getting ready to sit down for dinner Sunday night, an editor comes popping into the Slack and says, hey, there are rumors that C.J. Stroud's going to be coming back. Maybe we should get something worked up just in case. And I was like, he's not coming back. But I'm not the one in charge. So... Had my dinner ruined. I had to go write a post about C.J. Stroud returning to Ohio State. So there, you know, this was not a victimless crime. So the social media buzz was basically one of their big boosters teasing a gender reveal. Yeah, he said big yeah. news coming tomorrow. God, that was annoying. Big news was yeah. a gender reveal that C.J. Stroud was involved in. I'll at least say that, like, that was big news for them. It was big not news for us. Yeah. But yeah, not for us at all. So. What were some of the biggest, uh, e- either a player that decided to go that was a, a surprise or feels very significant, or the announcement of somebody that was going to come back? What were some of the the sort of teams or players that really stood out in terms of the deadline coming and going and the impact on uh, the 2023 season? 
I think Penn State's one we need to we need to look at, right? They 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 kept Olu Fashanu, they they kept Adisa Isaac, they they kept Curtis Jacobs. I mean, that those are they three lose guys. Porter Washington, they lose Joey Porter Jr. Yeah, and they they've done really nice work in the transfer portal. They they, they got Dante Cephas, they they got Malik McLean uh, to to replace some of those guys at receiver. I know we'll do a portal episode probably coming up, but I, I thought Penn State was I had what did I have one I had five winners of, of teams that I thought on balance what what they kept versus what they could have lost uh, was clearly in their favor. And Penn State, for me, is a major winner there as they try to win the Big Ten. Michigan getting Blake Corum back. Yeah. And, like I, th- I understand although- the injury is going to play like a big role in that and that his NFL draft stock was impacted by his recovery time, getting an injury that late in the season. But he still could have gone pro, still would have been drafted at some point. But the idea that you've got that one-two punch of Corum and Donovan Edwards, you know, with JJ McCarthy, that offensive backfield is uh, absolutely tremendous and will be a huge part of. I mean, that that's so much fun. I mean, that Penn State's a big winner, Michigan's a big winner, Ohio State is Ohio State. That that Big Ten race is going to be one of the the biggest stories in in all of college football next season. Well, what's going to be interesting? You gave the three. Which you know that was the criticism this past year was a three-team league. I think it'll be more interesting to see, like who emerges outside of those three. Do we see another Illinois emerge? What does Wisconsin do with um, you know new head coach? Like what does Minnesota do with? Like I think that's going to be more intriguing because I think we know what those schools are going to be. Like who's going to emerge to challenge those three? Well, I, I don't think they'd count as one of the big winners, but I will say Illinois is a winner from players returning this year because they've lost, they're going to lose Witherspoon, they're losing Sidney Brown, they're losing Chase Brown, but a lot of the big key players in that defense who could have gone to the draft have come back. Some offensive linemen who could have gone to the draft are coming back. So I feel like Illinois is probably still going to be pretty decent next year. I don't know if they're going to be anywhere near the level of Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, but I do think they're a winner. I think um, outside the Big Ten, though, like – who in the SEC do you think had the worst, and who do you think had the best? The worst, I think, is Florida. Yeah, you, you, you lose the huge guard, you lose Richardson. I mean, I'm not trying to bag on Florida today, but like to me, they lost the compared to the, like the level of talent on that team. A lot of Florida's best players are going pro early. Mm. What about um, the what about the best? I didn't have an SEC best. Yeah, see, that's I, I was struggling to find one. That's what because like I, when I was going through them, I was like, all right, I feel like it's so weird with the SEC because there's all are always the players that are going to be drafted are typically leaving, but the way they recruit, it's like eh, they'll probably most of them they'll probably be replaced. They'll probably be the same team they were last year. So it's it's hard to find like a team in the SEC that you could say, oh wow, they got super lucky that that guy's coming back. I yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, staying in the state of Florida. Florida State kept Jared Burse. That's mm. pretty big. I mean, I don't think he was a guaranteed first rounder, but I don't think he's getting out of the second round. They kept Jordan Travis, who would have been a late round selection, I think, but he's a really excellent college quarterback. And that's, you know, Florida State plays college football, so that's what they care about. And then they also kept Fabian Lovett, who's their their best interior defensive lineman. You know, probably didn't get the draft grade he wanted. I, I think he elects to come back. Maybe he can get to be a third rounder or a second rounder. I think he would have been a late round selection. I mean, those are three, I think three guys who would no doubt have been drafted and you know, maybe decently high, especially with verse. Those three coming back are putting up a shoe in the winning category for me. And Washington. no one would have been surprised if they would have left. You know, yeah, I think I mean, the surprise was them coming back, which is what I think what you would categorize for winners. Yeah, no doubt. 
Um, I, I think you have to consider the Pac-12 teams to be winners too. <laughs> yes, in yeah. Oregon, Utah, Utah. They're, they're all getting their quarterbacks back. They're all keeping a lot of key players. So I feel like that's something. Like I don't, we kind of talked about this a little last week too, before everything was official. It's just like the Pac-12 next year is just with all the quarterbacks that they have returning, and then Caleb Williams having to come back, like. That could be fun. One team I think might be hurt, like Zach Charbonnet going to the NFL. I realize running backs are a lot easier to replace than most other positions, but I felt like Zach Charbonnet was just a very big part for what UCLA was doing offensively, and I thought he was a very good player in that offense. That could be something that kind of hurts. I mean, they're already losing DTR. It's going to be interesting to see what that UCLA offense looks like. So I'm not, I wouldn't qualify the Bruins as a loser, but it hurts. I... Honestly, almost put them in the winning category, which is I, I'm glad I didn't because I, I think I agree with Tom. But you know, Charbonnet is a guy I think we all expected to go pro because he is a running back. I mean, running backs like Corum doesn't come back if he doesn't bust his leg up, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's no way. Um, UCLA kept Latu Latu, who I think yeah. is potentially going to be a major major pass rusher for them. You know, Bobo's gone, DTR is gone. Only played pretty poorly down the stretch. Charbonnet's gone. The Murphy twins are gone. I think you I agree with with Tom, but they didn't lose everybody they could have. And I think Latu Latu is like a potential difference maker. And this is, you know, like trying to get trying to get your players to stay and not enter the portal is one thing. This like trying to get them to go not go to the NFL is is certainly a little bit of a different challenge altogether. You know, you Texas AM lost a lot to the portal, right? But yeah. we've we've detailed how some of those players you go back and you look at how they fit into the overall Texas A&M landscape that, that maybe their exits might not be uh, the biggest surprise. I'll add specifically to the Washington front. You've got a thousand yard wide receiver and one of your top defensive linemen back in addition to Michael Penix. Mm-hmm. That Huskies team is going to be for real uh, going into next year. Yeah, I was surprised the dudes they returned, but yeah. Because yeah. McMillan went, right? Or was he a senior? McMillan's back. No, yeah. Isn't he? Oh my goodness. I think so. Hold on. He's still time. Still time. Gone. Uh, TCU lost a ton. TCU, yeah, TCU lost everything for the most part. Kendra, as far Kendra, as er, early guys, they lost what Johnson and Miller. Yeah, Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnston. You throw in Garrett Riley on top of it. That's uh, the, again. I, I've I've said before. I will put a high floor on TCU predictions going into 2023, but that high floor is going to be entirely like infrastructure no or like i don't know how to say it but like the secret sauce or whatever it is i'm just not going to be betting against them um but i, I they've got a lot to do McMillan i would say he's back by the way jeez um, dunze and mcmillan and mm-hmm. michael Penix. Mm-hmm. no I, I think pitt might have to be a loser here Right, so you you lose avaconda early which is not surprising you lose brandon hill one of their better corners early you lose Clive. Can't see senior, right? Can't see. I can't see. It was definitely listed on CBS as an early guy. So an early guy. He might have been a senior, but had an extra year to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also a uh, Baldonado. I, I I think turned pro. Right? Did I see that? I had him on my list, and now now he's not on the CBS list. So I'm curious mm-hmm. if if he was maybe not a an early guy. Um, did he? I don't know. Um. Anyway, I had them as a as a loser on my list. Ohio State, just because they also lost center Luke Weipler. Right. I, I thought he was lose both starting guy. tackles and uh, your starting center. And we're going to be transitioning to the Kyle McCord era. You know, Stroud. 
yeah. you know, obviously expected. Tommy Eichenberg is back, though. There you Hooray. go. Uh, yeah, Baldonado's going to the draft. Okay. Cuse is a sneaky one, by the way. So Sean Tucker, early expected. Bergeron, uh, one of their best offensive linemen. And then also Garrett Williams, who I thought maybe could have come back after busting his knee up. Was it knee or foot? I thought it was knee. Uh, you know, he, he comes back. They also lost a ton to the portal, which just for this exercise, we're talking draft. But to lose three guys early off Cuse, I think that hurts a decent bit. Yeah, I mean, you lose Bergeron, you lose 16 goals, 19 assists in 43 games. I mean, that's really tough. <laughs> puck talk. <laughs> we got our puck head over here. I always forget Chip's <laughs> the biggest hockey fan on this show. He's chippy puck. Northwestern uh, did Bucks lose uh, Skronsky. Yeah, yeah that mean, was kind that of always known. Yeah. yeah. You're, Northwestern losing its stud offensive tackle that was so important to the success. Look at all the wins from the year. Can't wait. Northwestern fans are going to think I hate Northwestern when I start doing mock drafts. I'll leave it at that. Why? Because you're not going to have him as your first tackle? Yeah, I won't. I think he's you good. You can have Broderick Jones? I don't 100% know yet. Um, I will just say, I don't think the offensive line draft class is very good this year overall. So Skronsky might end up being the number one lineman in my first mo- my mocks. I just I don't think it's a great class overall. I thought was it last year's tackle class that had like Andrew Thomas and all those guys in there? Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good tackle class. Last year's class was very good. This year's I don't think it's I mean, I I've been wrong plenty of times before, but I just there's nothing in this one that makes me like, oh yeah, surefire guy right there. Whereas last year there were like three or four guys. I was like, I would take him. Hell yeah, top ten for sure. So what position is uh, the most stacked right now? Have you gotten to that point? Uh, I feel like there's a lot of good defensive backs. Mm. It's a defensive heavy draft, I feel like. Mm -hmm. I haven't even started to look at it because thankfully I don't have to. Yeah, I'm get just to, kind of starting the process the last yeah, couple get, days. Get to rely on uh, on Tom for that. Kenny's fantastic, and he will, as he said, be doing mock drafts for CBSSports.com here over the next couple months. And yeah, we're going to dig into it here because Tom's an expert, and we know these guys in college. Those NFL writers have not seen anything. Ryan Wilson has, but in general, you know, the NFL population they don't know these guys like we do. So we'll continue to offer our expertise there, and you can. Follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll be back Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Much more to get to from across college football. And we'll dive into the big old bag of mail. We've asked, you've answered, you ask, we answer. Uh, you leave us a five-star review. Put your question in that review. We will tackle it in a future mailbag episode. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.